uh, I was like a hardcore nano user, you know, like it's always, it's like a, it's a it's battle, you know, like hardcore nano <laughs> yeah. user, hardcore nano user. Yeah. There, I don't think there really are hardcore nano users. Let's be honest. man we're rolling it's just me and you in the studio now man no no noggly around yeah it's it's i mean it's funny because uh it's uh, we've been on the phone like all day for the <laughs> for the last like four days but I, most of the people listening to the pod don't realize that so it's just yeah. like they might think that we just hop on here like once a week which normally we probably do you but... are my world right now Joel. <laughs> yeah 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 we are we are deeply entrenched in each other's worlds currently yeah yeah, the the reason for that, just to not sound weird, is uh, is the live hacking event that uh, we're participating in right now. We're gonna be hopping on a plane to LA in T minus eight days um, for a live hacking event with Hacker One, um, and Joel and I decided to make a little uh, team team critical thinking uh, this time around, huh? Yeah, I'm pretty stoked. I mean, we uh, we submitted a couple really awesome reports today, so finally. Yeah, finally. It took a, a couple days of work. I mean, listen, we talk all the time about like going deep and, you know, like getting really familiar with your target before. Did we get did we get intimate with the application or what <laughs> yeah, this time? Yeah, ho- holy, holy moly. Yeah, th- this yeah. was uh, this is quite a deep dive and uh, it really paid off. We, we found a, re- yeah. a couple really awesome bugs. So I'm, yeah. I'm looking hoping forward we can, to hoping we can get something more in the unauthenticated context, you know, after this, we, we've got some stuff in unauthenticated context, but I kind of want to pull it out of that. So we'll see if we, if we get there, we got a lot of code to review. Yeah. hundred percent. All right, cool. man. Um, let's see what we got in the news section for this week. Um, okay. I'll take the one, uh, the first one. So, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about real quick was this tweet by Rezo. Rezo is spitting some fire lately. I feel like every single time we do a news section, we talk about a tweet of his. Um, but I think this is a particularly helpful one to put on the pod because um, he's talking about sort of new uh, attack vectors, new vulnerability types. And that's like one of the main things we want to talk about on critical thinking. Um, and so he's talking about prompt injection and some indirect prompt injection and then polyglot po- prompt injection. These are all um, LLM-based injection attacks, um, sort of new uh, attack classes or attack vectors uh, designed to exploit sort of AI integrations uh, with, with Web2 technology. Um, so he does a really good job um, in here. Uh, of describing what each one of them is. Uh, plug-in hijacking, I think, is, is a really cool one as well. Um, and I don't know if I said that in the first time around. Plug-in hijacking, indirect uh, indirect injection, and then polyglot prompt injection. Pl- plug-in hijacking, I think, is going to be really cool because if the account that they're using to submit their prompts to OpenAI is using the sort of plugins feature, then you may be able to even trigger like a callback to you via the browsing feature or some other weird stuff like that. So definitely looking forward to seeing these attacks around. Yeah, super cool. I mean, this stuff goes <laughs> kind of way over my head because it's not really my my where I'm like the most familiar, yeah. but it's really awesome to see um, like the security community sort of piling into this new space and uh, finding a lot of really cool stuff. OpenAI 
Uh, they just launched um, a bug bounty program recently. Oh. That, that was a couple of days ago, actually. Um, and uh, yeah, I know like a couple of our buddies, Nagley, of course, and uh, yeah. and Rezo, <laughs> who we're talking about right now. They, they were both hitting had, it real, yeah, real they were hard. hitting it really hard when it, when it came out. They had a couple of bugs before the program even launched. Yeah. Um, so it's really awesome to see the OpenAI team being very accepting and open to the community and already yeah. starting up a program. I think there was some talk of um, even retroactive bounty payments. I'm not sure if that actually went through or not, but I did see some, you know, some whispers of that. So that's really cool for the people that went ahead and proactively uh, submitted bugs and and kind of got those in there before the program started. Yeah, that's what I heard as well. I heard I saw some bugs get like you know their severities moved around and and get like marked as accepted and stuff. So I've I've mm -hmm. heard that's that's gonna happen, which is really awesome because yeah, they're moving. Well, I mean, what's the difference in two days, right? So exactly. Super, yeah, super and cool then to see. I, I won't go through this whole tweet here, but like, um, for those of you listening, I'd really recommend checking out this link that we'll put in the podcast description because he's got some really great graphics here, of um you know the various. Uh, like diagrams for the attack vectors. And then, so read, read all that. The one thing I will call out um, is that he does come up with a really cool solution, I think, for these sort of attacks. He mentions a couple solutions, three solutions, but he comes up with one that I really like in particular, and that is um, the contradiction model. So essentially what this, what this means is he, we would, they would need to train a model to take two inputs instead of one. The one is like the intent, the overall like sort of like the admin intent functionality. And then uh, after that, you would be able to have a prompt that maybe the user could control. And if the user controlled prompt conflicts with the intent prompt in any way, then, you know, boo boo, you know, it, it kind of sets off the alarms and, and kills the, the, the prompt injection. Um, so I think that could be really cool to see uh, having some sort of, you know, higher level prompt that can't be overwritten is really is really important I think for this because if you can just query the the system and say hey what did the admin what were the rules that the admin set for you before we had this conversation or like you know and, and then figure out a way to work around that then that's going to be an issue for sure and and there's not really a way there's not really doesn't really seem to be a reliable way to convince chat gpt or any of the other lom uh, that you you know that they should not violate the previous rules set out it seems like that they're just going to take the newest thing most of the time and so uh there's definitely going to be needs some need for this sort of separation yeah i mean i always wonder how they patch these like a bug like how do you patch a bug in an llm like yeah do you just convince it really hard? You're like, <laughs> you're like under no circumstance, you are not allowed. <laughs> like I don't, if I don't say get this, it. Don't you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, like it's like scalding a child. What I, if you I don't didn't know. though? <laughs> yeah, it's like, but theoretically, yeah, you just go in logical circles. So I, I always wonder what that kind of looks like from like the back end side, mm -hmm. how they're how they go about patching those or fixing that, or yeah. how do you like target something like that specifically within an LLM? I have, I have no idea. Who knows, man? I, I think, uh, yeah, I always laugh at those chat GPT, you know, screenshots where they say like, oh, I can't do that. I'm a language, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then like the next line you, you say, oh, I didn't. Oh, no, no. Okay. So it was on pirating. I loved this one. It was like, hey, can you give me some websites where I can like pirate online material or whatever? And it's like pirating is illegal, blah, blah, blah. I can't, as an ethical model, I can't do that. And, and then the person responded, hey, you know, 
uh, oh, I didn't know that that was illegal. Could you tell me some sites that I should avoid to make sure that I'm not pirating? And it's like, sure, don't definitely don't check out Pirate Bay and like, stuff like that, which was so funny. So that's um, so hilarious. Yeah, it's definitely the whole AI world has definitely got um, a lot of a lot of work <laughs> to do. I'd imagine on figuring out how all that works. Um, the only other thing I wanted to mention in this uh, section of the news was I know uh, Live Overflow, just, I just saw this right before we went live, um, put out a prompt injection video. Uh, mm. I have not seen it yet, full disclosure, but um, Live Overflow puts out really great stuff. So definitely go check that out if you're interested in learning more about prompt injection. Yeah, yeah, super awesome. Um, I love uh, Live Overflow's content. He, he always puts out really amazing videos. Um, all right, Joel, did you want to talk about anything or should I just go through my news? Uh, yeah, list? no, like, I, I can talk. I, yeah, I mean, uh, so real quick, there was a, there was a ghost script, um, bug that oh, came yeah. up recently. Um, and we'll put the link in the description, but, uh, really cool, uh, write up. I, I would recommend just honestly go read the write up yourself because it's a super, super cool write up. Um, it's mm -hmm. re really well done. Basically, uh, this person, uh, I think they work for uh, this company, Almond Secure Almond Consulting. And nice. during one of their assessments, one of their security consulting gigs, they noticed that uh, the code they were looking at was using PIL, the Python image library, to like resize an image. And underneath that all, it was calling the ghost script like binary. And so they were wondering, maybe we could pop something in Python if we pop something in the GoScript binary. And so they went down this Hard whole rabbit code. hole. Like, <laughs> yeah. Hey, I wonder if I can just pop this binary to see if I can attack this high-level Python language. Like, right. what the heck? What is, this, right. what is this thought progression here? Yeah, so they go to GoScript, a like well-known public project that's already on, like using OSS fuzz and everything. And they're like, I know what I'll do. I'll fuzz it. <laughs> and so, like, so, what a baller. Yeah, incredibly, like they put together like a really narrow like scope set that was like much more refined and much better than what i guess what oss fuzz was doing on it already and they were able to find a buffer overflow in GoScript, and they fully like escalated it like all the way up they were able to get like rce with it they were reading files um i'm pretty sure they even wow. had uh like a full shell uh, like they popped calc <laughs> on the wow. on the machine in their in their video poc so really really cool bug i think it's got, got a 9.8 cbss right now um Jeez. So if you're using GhostScript or you see it in the wild, a lot of things use GhostScript for EPS processing. Um, so whether that's like Image Magic or Python, um, LibSpecter apparently uses it as well. Um, so yeah, there, there's a lot of things that he mentions within the blog post about the CVE uh, that say how it's you know used very widely. So definitely yeah. check check that out. It's a like I said, it's a really well-written blog post, and uh, you should definitely check it out. It's on all every, consulting. Every time a ghost script bug drops, you know, I can just hear the bounties, you know, chinging. You know, I <laughs> yeah. we just got to figure out. I, I got to sit down and and figure out exactly how the PO, like what kind of POC file I can make and stuff like that, and sort of spray it around to a bunch of different locations. Because yeah, I've popped some real easy RCs before with with ghost script related bugs and I know a couple targets that you still use despite my you know very insistent warnings like please do not use this using image magic is literally RCE um well what are we going to do if someone up, uploads a postscript file Justin we, we're know, not supposed like, to support it we, we got to support every file come like, on what the heck um so yeah definitely be on the lookout for that 
Um, let's see what else we got. What else we got? Oh yeah. Okay. So Integrity uh, tweeted out a. This is what, what was this? April, April 12th. So about a week ago, right after we recorded the last uh, episode, um, they report or they uh, tweeted out five CSRF exploitation techniques. And, you know, I've talked a little bit about my philosophy on, on CSRF before on the pod. Um, it's still all over the place and, uh, still very easy to find. Um, and one of the most common bugs out there, you got to know how to get around the same site restrictions and stuff like that. And for that, I will refer you to the amazing same site confusion uh, blog post that I've mentioned like 50 bajillion times on here by Jubobs. Um, but, and I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll add that to the, uh, let me just note down that I'll add that to the, uh, to the description as well. But this, uh, this tweet by integrity just goes through a couple of the basic uh, CSRF um, techniques that kind of uh, crop up from time to time. They talk about, you know, just basic CSERF via GET request. They talk about modifying the content type from uh, application JSON to X form URL encoded or even text plane. They didn't mention, uh, they did mention text plane. Yeah, here it is right there. I was going to say, almost got them there. Uh, <laughs> no, they did mention text plane. Um, so that's good. Uh, they, you know, mentioning those two things. And then uh, sort of method-based CSERF modifying the method. I see this a good bit. Um, when you can just send a get request instead of a post request or a get request instead of a put request or whatever. And then um, obviously just if they're not validating their CSERF tokens or if they're using some sort of ref crappy refer-based regex, then uh, those are also bypassable. So um, for any of you that are not you know, feeling super comfortable with this attack type, I'd really recommend sitting down and like working through a list of conditions. Um, this is what I have my mentees do. I have them write down, okay. If the request is get and it causes some sort of you know change, then great, um, that's vuln. Uh, if it's a post request and it has uh, X form app, uh, X form www URL X www form URL encoded, that's a mouthful, uh, or text plain, then you've got a vuln. Um, and, and then you know just kind of writing down those conditions so that you can understand. Uh, how, how exactly to find these and what what conditions you have to meet before they're actually exploitable. It would be a, a dope flowchart to put together. Yeah, someone someone's got to do that, man. If we if we had all the time in the world, that would be a great. Uh, <laughs> I know. You know sit down uh, one day. <laughs> yeah, uh, producible for the critical thinking brand, but um, yeah. So definitely check out that. We'll link it in the description. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. Oh, yeah, I just wanted to shout out as well. Um, NahamCon is going to be going on soon. Obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know about NahamSec and you're probably watching his stuff. Um, but one, NahamSec has been pushing out some sick videos lately. He's been super active on YouTube, very high quality stuff. So and Twitch. Go, yeah, and Twitch. Yeah. So definitely go check that out. And also, NahamCon is coming around in June. And uh, I will be speaking at that along with a bunch of other really awesome uh, hackers. So definitely go get on the sign-up list for that at nahamcon.com. And, uh, and don't miss that event because uh, there's going to be a lot of cool tech. I'm dropping some cool techniques that I haven't publicly disclosed before. Yep. And uh, I know a couple other people are as well. Um, yep. so. And Jay Haddix, who was a previous guest on our podcast, he'll be giving a, a workshop there. So. There's, a, there's definitely a lot of stuff going on there you're going to want to check out and you're going to want to stay tuned and subscribe and follow Ben and make sure that you're, uh, you're, you're, you got all his socials on your socials because yeah. there's a, that's an awesome space to be in and there's just so much, so much knowledge that's going to be shared there. Yeah, he's sharing a lot of good stuff lately. Um, 
And and then the last one that I just had, this is a little quick one, but um, uh, Aura Research Division is the name of the company, um, released Penta Ownage, um, <laughs> which is a pre-auth RC on Pentahu Business Analytics Server. And the reason I bring this up is because I have seen this in bug bounty programs before, and I have two other uh, pre-auth RCEs on this in my in my little repertoire over here. So if you ever see Pentahu, it's it's RCE, man. Um, so just like grab whatever recon crap you have for Pentahu, and uh, you know there's definitely going to be RCE there. So that's crazy. Uh, check that out as well if you if you run across it any time, because um, that will definitely result in some some crazy easy RCE. Wow, super 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 crazy bug i have never seen that software i i have never even heard of it but i think it's another example where like if i was nagley or someone like nagley yeah. i'd just be like i'd already be Spray. scripting yeah I'd be, <laughs> yeah 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 exactly um cool you yeah, want to dive into I, the main content yeah let's get to it i will say the the, the pentahu thing like yeah i there is one target that i found it on and i've seen references to it on a different target but there's one one target and uh there's three RC. I got three max three? RCs from it because they just wouldn't wall off the <laughs> endpoint. Like they just kept on killing the endpoint that I was hitting directly rather than like all of Pentahu. And so, yeah, that's an L. Okay. That's crazy. Yeah. Like you said, main content, main content for this episode. Did a little uh, drum I roll. I mean, you Where, read the title. My, hold on. Yeah. You, you know what it is? You know what's coming? Hacker Toolkit. There we go. Hacker Toolkit. Uh, can you oh you can't no, no i don't can't hear anything just insert can you hear it now oh. yes. there we go wow. okay <laughs> well, the audience is all here it's crazy i always i know right? shout out to my fans podcasts. oh man um okay sorry for being super cheesy there but i i like my little uh media play buttons um all right so what we wanted to talk about this time what tools are we using what tools are we not using that sort of thing pretty much that simple so joel i'm gonna pick randomly from your list here and i'm gonna have you tell me about it hit cool. me with ferox buster ferox buster i learned this one from jay haddix actually so this is like uh yeah. it's a it's a dirt searching tool and one of the things i really like about it i actually like two two main things one recursive it's like very rec like recursive by automatically and oh, two nice. it's written in rust and it's crazy fast so it's like normally I'll use a combination of a couple tools when I'm doing dirt searches. Um, Ferrox Buster, probably my go-to nowadays, depending on what I'm looking for. If I have just like a straight word list and I don't need to be super flexible with it, Ferrox Buster is great. If I need to do something more complex where I want to put that keyword somewhere specifically within the request, or mm -hmm. I want to like put it somewhere else, maybe in a cookie, something like yeah. that, FFUF. But that's yeah, that's yeah. Fuff's Fuff's region right there. I yeah. I always use Fuff is my go-to, uh, like force browsing directory, you know, brute forcer out there. But I have heard, I think, yeah, I think I don't remember if we talked about this on the episode with Jay Haddix. I think we did, um, but I've definitely heard of Ferox Buster a couple a couple times. I have not downloaded it and used it yet though. So next time I've got to do some hardcore enumeration this might be the way but to be honest i don't find myself doing that very much nowadays man i really don't 
Yeah, so, I mean, Jay Haddock's talked about this during his episode, right? So a lot of what he's doing is content discovery-based, finding those types, yeah. like he has a really crafted word list that work really well on older targets and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So depending on what type of hack you're hacking you're doing, if you're doing a lot of dirt searching, if you have really good word lists already, and you want to go recursive and just have it go crazy fast and search through everything, Ferrex Buster, it's a great option. I That's like keeping it in my toolkit and just having it there if I need it. Um, and it's, you know, one of those things. We call it a toolkit because, you know, there's no one size fits all for everything. So it's good to have lots yeah. of different things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, sometimes even just burp intruder or whatever automate for kaido will will get the job done but um you know when you need something a little bit faster more comprehensive then you you move to fuff or or ferrex buster yeah whatever works um on the note of burp in kaido uh i will say i have been using kaido more and more recently i've been using burp when it comes to some mobile stuff a little bit more um but sort of my default for the web is kaido and I will say there are still a decent amount of like things that I, I kind of need and, and, or things that aren't working perfectly, but the, uh, I do have a pro subscription to Kaido. And if you, uh, take like a loom video and of the thing you don't like or the thing or the bug that's happening and you send it in discord to the Kaido team, uh, they will get on that. Uh, ASAP. Um, and it's really easy. I don't know if, if you use Loom at all, Joel, but like it's super, I, I love this tool That was a so company much. that got popped recently, right? Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> yes. But who hasn't been there for one? For two, the convenience level is really high. So, you know, take it or leave it. But um, Loom is like, makes it really, really easy. I, it's like one keystroke. And then like, I'm in a video with my like head down at the bottom left-hand corner and it's recording my screen. And it's really like, and then as soon as the video is over, it gives me a link to share the video. And I just love that. I, I nice. love that. And so I can easily just, you know, boom, spin up a Loom video, um, show the thing that I'm having trouble with, send it off to Kaido and they get that stuff fixed. Um, I also just want to say like, Go just go spend the ten bucks and get a Kaido Pro subscription. Um, it's definitely going to be the the route that the industry is going to go in the future, um, and it's 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 very much a growing tool. And the sooner you're you're more familiar with it, and the more you get to influence it as it grows, um, the better that product is going to be for you in the future. And while while you know they're growing, you you have the opportunity to be a big influence on that process. So. Go pick up a subscription and uh, and show them some love, um, and you know use continue using Burp for you know Android proxying or whatever uh, other stuff like that comes your way. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I I love Kaido. Um, I use both that and Burp, and uh, um, you know there like you said there are just a couple little things where like I think my requests would be like not maybe things that they could tackle because I want like plugins and stuff like I don't well, know if actually they... <laughs> I, I have some inside information on that I don't know I don't know how long it is going to be before they release it but when that plugin system comes out man whew, yeah. that is going to be it's going to be fire huge. man uh, the way that they're designing it on the back end is super nice yeah. Um, so it's going to be really easily extensible. You're not going to have to be a Java developer. You're not going to have to deal with like freaking Eclipse or whatever. You I don't, know, I don't have to install a separate Jython instance. You, no, you don't. <laughs> and, and, um, and so, yeah, should be really clean and easy. Really looking forward to that. That's going to be a big feature that they're releasing within the next year for sure. So yeah. 
definitely cool. looking forward to that. Cool. Um, um, what you got? I'll pick one. Off, I'll pick one off yours. Um, why don't you tell me about uh, HTTPX? Okay. Yeah. So this one's this one's great, and I'll actually combine this one with uh, Gao as well because I think they complement each other really well. So um, one of the things that I like to do often and I've sort of mentioned this on the pod before, my approach is not really to go super wide on recon. It's just to sort of get the function main functionality of the app. And a lot of time, the main functionality of the app is going to be fairly decently recorded in Gao because Gao just can get that those URLs somehow. I don't understand how, but but it, it, it is. So especially when I'm like first starting out, um, on a target, I'll often run the, the www or even just all of them with dash dash subs through Gao and enumerate all of the URLs and start looking for little sub applications is kind of what I call them, right? For example, this is one, this is one, man, I hope I don't lose some, some bounties by, by calling this out. But um, one of the ones where I found a lot of bugs before was uh, www.instacart.com slash potluck which is like, there's no links to it from like the main website, or at least there wasn't at the time when I, when I, uh, when I found it. Um, but it's like this little weird sub application on Instacart that's like their own little like mini social media, right? So I went on there and I found a couple bugs and- um, Super weird. Yeah, it's weird. And man, now I need, after this pod is over, I need to go and just double check and make sure they haven't pushed <laughs> any new functionality there. Why do I always get myself into these pickles? Um, but yeah, um, so like I would have never found that if it wasn't just for Gao or like, for example, um, Google site colon whatever. And then just manually clicking through all the results um, and kind of processing it. But if you want to do it a little bit faster, then that's when HTTPX comes in. And you can just take the output of Gao, pipe it directly into HTTPX, and it will go. And you can literally just add like the status code uh, flag and a couple other things. Just hit it with an HTTP request, show you the output status code. Hit it with an cool. HTTP request, show you the output content type or whatever, like whatever you want. And um, it just makes it really easy. It, it, it feels really like awesome. You don't have to like write like yeah. all these four It's just like a one bash. little step. Yeah, really clean sort of transition there. And I think it's something really nice to have in the toolkit. And it's really fast. So that helps too. It can help you kind of um, minimize those uh, when you're going through Gao and you click every single link and it's like 404, 404, 404. And you're like, okay, okay. Like, let's not spend our time doing this. So you just, excuse me, you just run it through HTTPX, get the output, and then only hit the ones that return anything interesting. Cool. Gotcha. Yeah, so that's that's uh, that's that one. I know some power users of HTTPX can do some pretty crazy stuff with it. Um, Nogly, I've seen, like, I feel like Nogly, also one of the crazy things about Nogly, <laughs> if you see him, he types so fast. Like, I'm I, like I'm definitely a, t a fast typer. I can type, like, 90-something words, words per minute. But Nogly is just, like, brrr, you know, it's, like, always above 110. And, and I'm just, like, what the heck are you doing? Like, it, it's... It, it's foreign. Um, I'm like a really fast typer. My no, my normal average, like I'm like 120, like 130, which is like oh I mean, gosh. listen, I'm gonna say really fast, and then what like the there's gonna be a million people in the comments being like, ah, oh, I type it 200. But I was gonna say I know I know people who are like way faster than me because no I don't way. touch type. Like I never learned how to properly touch type, so really? I didn't take like a typing class or anything. What? And so I just like I I do like a combination. It's not hunt and peck, but it's like I use like 
three fingers on each hand i i like rarely use my no like pinkies way. and i only use one thumb and, and stuff you can still get to 117 uh, yeah man like, yeah because i mean just like you know i have my method and i've tried to learn how to like properly tie i just can't do it <laughs> so like i have i have no so much props way. for those people i tried to um i tried to learn how to do steg- steganography i think it's, it's called once yeah, or yeah. St- stenography the with yeah, the like, like that with the, the cords weird... and stuff yeah, yeah like a like a court uh, the court reporters and stuff yeah and they, they type it like you know 300 words a minute or whatever because they <laughs> write like words <laughs> with like <laughs> keys i don't know I'm, I'm going down a tangent here but yeah Dude. i uh i i wish i i could type like correctly because That's i am not that, that i'm can... like not that fast well i always tell my little sister too like she wants to be a writer and and she like does the three finger you know thing that you do right and she's still pretty fast i'm like okay you know that's great but like if you're literally going to be doing this for the rest of your life then you need to learn how to do it but well i won't introduce her to you joel because that's a counter (laughs) no no no, i'm not gonna no hope you're not listening to to this like uh, go go do your typing course take take a class like an actual class to go typing.com they'll they have like a touch typing course yeah that's crazy though and i know just whenever he but what i was gonna say before with htpx was like you know when he's pounding out like an htpx command i just remember this one time like sitting in the next to him in the airport and he's just like (laughs) and it's just like it it was literally that fast that like the command line string was coming out with all the htpx parameters and i was like oh my gosh um so yeah definitely there all right let's you're up next um Talk to me about your, oh, okay. So this looks interesting. Home server with NAS storage and basic for basic scanning tasks. That's what he's got in the dock. Hit, hit sure. me with that, Joel. Yeah, yeah. So this is under my my section of notes for VPS. And basically this mm-hmm. is all about like my, the servers that I use for like scanning, for automation, for all that kind of stuff. Like what is my yeah. structure, right? So I have two main things. I have a home server. Okay. I don't know if you can see it in frame. It's behind yeah. me. It's on this rack right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I also have a cloud server. I use um, a host called Digital Fire, F-Y-R-E. Digital, uh, and it's okay. it's pretty solid overall. I have really no complaints. They have multiple different data centers. Oh. So I keep mine in Texas. I'm based on the West Coast. But that way, if I'm on East Coast, West Coast, doesn't really matter. I have pretty much the same ping to it. So it's not like... Uh, my, my server used to be on the East Coast. And I had like... 80 ping to it or something and that was a super annoying so i moved it um yeah i have I got, a nas s- ahead, set up sorry. on my on my home server it's basically just like a giant raid array and i have that mounted through nfs uh on two different servers so my cloud server has it mounted as a nfs share and then oh, i nice. have it mounted on my computers as an nfs share so i can always just drop a file in there i can That's share it across smart either to the cloud or to my laptop or to my PC, whatever I need to do. Um, I store like a lot of the target data. So if I'm doing a big scan, I'll output that file and then I'll copy it over to the NFS share and then I'll just read it locally on my laptop or something like that. Mm, mm, nice. Um, yeah, uh, I use Digital Fire as my cloud host. I, I Originally, I tried to do all the scanning in-house um, on my yeah. so, self-hosted server. Connection. Yeah, exactly. Rip my internet connection, rip my IP, like all of it. It's just not worth it. You need a really, really durable, reliable uplink if you want to do that kind of stuff because that's where the majority of your traffic is going to be going is uplink, outbound requests. And uh, residential home networks typically, especially in the U.S., don't have that. It's usually very 
sided towards your downlink, not your uplink. So I have like a thousand down, so 35 up. You know, it's yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> so yeah, I, uh, it, it just didn't work. Every time I would run a scan, it would saturate my whole network. I would lose connectivity on my other devices. It just wasn't worth it. If you get an IP ban, it's a giant pain in the ass. So uh, 15 bucks a month. I keep a digital fire VM in the cloud that I do all the like really heavy scanning with. And then if I'm doing something like less intensive or I just want to do it on a Linux box or I want access to different tools that are Linux only or something like that, a lot of that I'll do on the bug bounty, like the local bug bounty VM that I have on my home server. Wait, so is this not a Linux box, your your VPS? Uh, my VPS, they're both Linux boxes. Oh, both, okay. They both run Linux, say. yep. Um, and then within those, um, I mentioned that I have my NFS share that I keep a lot of the bug, bug bounty target data on. Mm -hmm. uh, I basically yeah. just have a, a couple folders, one called targets, one called tools. Targets has a subfolder for every target, like, you know, Shopify, you know, Verizon, whatever. And then uh, the tools has different categories for like DNS, wordless, XXE, RCE, whatever. And Within those, I'll have different payloads, different tools, um, nice. just so that I can stay organized um, and I can just access everything that I need to. You're a pretty organized hacker, Joel. <laughs> like, as far as hackers go, like, every time Joel and I are, like, you know, throwing notes in, like, a, a doc or something like that, I'll come back and it's, like, beautifully formatted <laughs> and, like, highlighted and there's, like, special hyperlinks. Like, I don't know what the thing you did in our, in, uh, in our content calendar for this, for the... Oh, with the, the, the chips? Yeah, yeah, it's got like, I can like hover over this link and it like shows the doc. I don't know. It's super cool in, in Google Drive. So I feel like, I feel like organization might be one of your, one of your, your strong suits in that sort of context. Yeah, it, it definitely depends on the context. For me, I'm like super ADHD. So I have to organize things to some extent, like ahead of time. Otherwise I, it'll just like get really out of hand. Like mm -hmm. I could definitely, I, I see people do this where they get into like a flow state and then they just start dumping files with like a.txt, b.txt. Yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> right. And it's like, that's really cool until you come back to it tomorrow and you're like, what the hell is a.txt? Yeah. I always have to have like a, like a sort of a self debrief after the whole thing is like I get to a get in like a, another text file named notes.txt this time or notes.md and be like all right you know this part of the payloads in a27.txt you know like yeah. and so um that's definitely I should probably do it differently but yeah you know, yeah I try to flows. catch myself like if I catch myself doing yeah. it I'll be like okay let me just rename this like something that makes a little more sense it'll be more of a more of a pain in the short term but worth it in the long term so yeah, yeah i try I try to stay sure. organized so just preemptively the the um the so you said you have your file system part of your file system mounted on your vps right yep so do you and that that's running i mean do you just port forward through your router is that what you're doing just to let that service be exposed no, so I use a thing called Zero Tier. Um, there's a couple other zero versions tier. of this. Yeah, Zero Tier. Uh, I, I don't. I'm tr I'm blanking on on what the other versions are that yeah. that exist that are very similar to this. I feel like but I've tried this. Yeah, it's really cool. It's basically just like a private network. It's like a private VPN, if that makes sense. Like a virtual. Uh, I mean, like VPN, virtual private network. It's that, but it's not in the common sense that you would think of VPN, right? If you think Spell of a it? VPN, Spell uh, zero z e r o t i e r. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, zero tier dot com. Yeah. Um, huh. Okay. So so it's it's really cool. It's basically yeah, yeah, just yeah. like okay. a little private network. Uh, you there's one admin. 
uh, and basically that's like you, you create the network and then you're the admin. If any new devices want to come on to your network, they, each device has a unique device ID and you have a unique network ID. You say, here's the network ID, the device connects. As an admin, you individually approve each device. So it's very strict, it's nice and secure. And then those devices basically get, they have a separate interface, it's just like VPN, right? Uh, separate IP space and you could just connect between any devices within that zero tier network. You can connect to multiple zero tier networks. So I have uh, two different zero tier networks that I use to expand the number of slots I have, plus to connect with other people that are s separate, right? So um, it, it's pretty sweet. Dude, that's awesome. I, I, I want to say buses can fly uh, recommended me use something similar like this. And I set it up so that my laptop could always like SSH into my, my, my desktop. Probably no tail scale. Yeah, tail scale. That was what it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah tail so, scale is the, the other like really similar, like big one. Um, yeah, I was having some serious problems with it though. Also, you know, but you know, I, I do WSL. So WSL just has problems with everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I really like zero tier. It means that yeah. I basically don't have to expose anything. I don't have to have open ports. I don't have to like do any sort of weird stuff. It's all internal. As long as I connect to the VPN, I can access all my stuff at home. And that's what I do for my home, like rest of stuff, my home server, right? Like I have a Plex server. I don't expose that shit to the internet. Mm. Hell no. <laughs> like, yeah, no, uh, yeah I connect not. to it through zero tier. So yeah. Nice. That makes sense. Zero tier. That's that's a uh, that's a great takeaway for this episode. Zero tier. If you're looking to sort of tie together your different infra infrastructure pieces, because I definitely have that issue all the time where I have file on my server and then I gotta like you know SCP it down to there and like it would just be much easier if I could just go and it would be there. You know. Yep. Um, that's great. That's a great tip. Yeah. I got to take the time to set that up, I think. Yeah. Um, why don't you tell me about your VPS setup? Because I know you had a couple things listed here as well. <laughs> Man, I shouldn't have let, I shouldn't have let you go <laughs> yeah, first. Maybe I should so, have gone second. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I've got a VPS on DigitalOcean. Um, back when I was in the recon game, I had like a managed Kubernetes cluster on um, DigitalOcean. I would spin all that up. All my containers would go out, you know, connect up through a, a central message broker and kind of trade off pieces of information and, you know, enhance data and keep it in a materialized view and push it to a GUI and also store it in a database um, and as well as flat files. Um, but those days are gone. Uh, I mostly just use my server now for scanning, um, you know, on the fly. I use it for hosting POCs and it's actually a really big server. It's like a hundred dollars a month or something like that. So I probably need to just like bite the bullet and like, clean up all my crap and push it to a $15 a month thing. Cause hundred dollars a month to host uh POC files is not, not great. But, um, for the POC stuff, uh, I've got a couple, I've got a wildcard cert, which I uh, use on poc.renerator.com. And that's really helpful because, um, I can sort of model attack scenarios, uh, for, for certain pieces of software. For example, um, if I, if I've got like an open source piece of software or like a, a client side piece of software that I'm, I'm showing an attack for, I can just like put the files at one spot on the server and then just have someone go to like attacker site.poc.renerator and then victim site.poc.renerator. And that demonstrates the difference of origin and that sort of thing. Um, nice. and so definitely recommend that, um, using uh, certbot, um, the, what is it? Let me. Was it let something? I can't remember. Uh, the let's name encrypt. Of the, yeah. yeah, let's encrypt. There it is. Uh, let's encrypt for the TLS certificate, um, and that's that's been working really smoothly. 
Um, but really, I mean, I don't really use PHP anywhere else, but it's just too convenient in Apache and it's yeah. too simple for so many things. So I will just actually occasionally just push pump out a PHP file for like basic stuff like setting redirects, you know, custom redirects or like even just like pulling parameters into, uh, you know, URL parameters into a, a specific file at a specific spot because it's just easier um, through PHP. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and I and then I also have this other file called um like dreader and then I've got a status code. So like dreader302.php, right? And that takes a parameter that's just like, you know, URL. So whenever I'm testing for SSRFs, I can always hit that and then just pass into the URL parameter um and it will just, you know, create a dynamic redirect to wherever I'm trying to go. Um and then I've got those for 303, 301, 307, 308, all of the redirect status codes. Um, I use those all the time. Nice. And then I've also got like a sort of a callback domain that I use for HTTP callbacks that I've got set up um, and it will just ping me on Slack with the full HTTP body um, whenever it gets a hit. Um, and so I've been using that for like RCE callbacks or SSRF callbacks. I want to do something similar for DNS, um, but obviously if somebody figures it out and then starts spamming it it's a little bit annoying so yeah um, i'm curious do you run into like slack message limits and stuff i probably would use discord for that now because like discord doesn't have message limits and all that kind of stuff here's the thing man i i pay for it i i okay. pay because i had i had i used to put all of my i need to go back and I, I've, I've got like let me just write some notes down right here because i'm paying for way too many things right now. <laughs> he's like hold on a um, second this is a yeah, business this is expense like, <laughs> that's like 107 dollars a month i'm spending here so let me, let me write that down yeah i need to slack uh, cancel slack and then digital ocean as well um because yeah i pay the seven dollars a month for slack because it's just single user you know so mm. it's like seven bucks it's not a big deal um but yeah uh but I can search, you know, all the way back and pull out anytime, you know, a callback has hit, which is nice. Nice. Um, and then the other thing yeah. I mentioned for my server, uh, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I was going to say the, the, the thing, the other thing I'll mention for my VPS is that I will, uh, occasionally use, um, whenever the PHP file isn't going to cut it, if I have like a more complicated logic that I have to articulate, um, in, you know, on an HTTP server side, I will just go ahead and set up like a reverse proxy in Apache, um, and then just run like a Python HTTP server on my, you know, like Flask or something like that on my, on my local host and, um, just have it proxy to that at a certain path. And then, you know, outline that more complex exploitation logic in there. Um, I just feel like it's easier to work with Python and I want everything under, you know, port 80 or port 443. So thus I have the, uh, the reverse proxy. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, the whole like wildcard thing and and all that like reverse proxying and stuff. That's another mm -hmm. reason why I kind of like having two boxes. Where yeah, um, like I, I run a, tra a traffic instance for mm. all my like HTTP routing and stuff. So I can do very similar to like what you do. I can set up a vhost that just points to like a different right. file or a different port or something, or I can just handle it separately, or I can just point it to a different IP address because I I have all of I have a wildcard domain as well that. I can just set up, you know, whatever I want. You can actually have a wildcard as a, as a catch-all, and then you can set specific specific ones to point elsewhere underneath that wildcard. I don't know if you know that. I didn't, I didn't um, know that. Hmm. Yeah, so you can have, like, you know, star.example.com go to something, and then you can still have, like, sub.example.com go to something different than the oh, wildcard, yeah. but the yeah, wildcard yeah. will catch everything else. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so that's pretty much what I do. Very, very, very similar setup. Um, and, like, PHP, yeah, man. 
<laughs> the goat. It's like <laughs> it's so simple, you know. It's like what it's could be just easier? Like, yeah, yeah. It's like one step further than Python. You know what I mean? Because yeah. like you don't even need to spin up like the server. You no. know what I mean? You just do it in the file. You just put it in. It's just like know, writing HTML. Arrow you know? question mark. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I love it. Um, simplicity there is always good. And, and, you know, yeah, I think a lot of people have the opinion that hackers are like, and, and, you know, we do get uh, on the edge of technology and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, the, the most important thing is that it works and it works fast and that we can iterate. This is, this yeah. is just one of the things that I mentioned on the podcast before, but I'll say it again. Shubs is, is just like hacking genius. And, and this doesn't sound like that crazy, but like he told me once, he's like, dude, just write in whatever you can get, you can accomplish the goal in as fast as possible, you know, because at the end of the day, as a hacker, that's what matters. You know, you don't have to yeah. worry about optimizing this and that and the other thing, just get the product out. And I think that's a great, a great mentality as well from just like a startup perspective is you want to prove the value of the product before you spend all the time, you know, hyper engineering it. So right. just get something out there, get something taped together, get it working with bash. And, and as long as you, you know, don't name stuff, a.txt. Yeah, okay? <laughs> as long as you don't shoot yourself in the foot with that. Maybe one. just or, like yeah. just a little descriptive name. Yeah. <laughs> that's, or, or, that's all. You know, just, storing uh, what the mistake i've made as well is storing like files that i'm actively working on in temp oh no yeah that's that's a mistake because if like your power cuts or like uh. you know you restart your computer on a windows update or something like that those bye-bye yeah see you later temp files <laughs> so um and and i sort of mentioned this i'll, I'll just kind of tack this on the end of the vps thing um python 3-m http.server is a command Use you can run to just like spin up an HTTP server in your current directory. Super duper helpful. Um, sometimes you just need to host a file and you need to host a file quick and Python's got your back on that. So love that. Yeah. And I believe you can uh, you can even specify a port as an argument, yeah. right? Yep. It's you, the yeah, the, the first arg is, is the port and then you can do dash dash bind and you can set a bind IP too. So mm, nice. yeah, that, that is super useful. It just opens in your, your current folder. Use that. I use that all the time as well. All right, let's see. Let's jump around. Um, you already talked about Fuff a little bit there, so you can take that one off the list. Um, let's cool. do Go Witness. I I've, cool. I've used this one as well, but uh, I might have a different take, so go. All right, yeah, so Go Witness, uh, it's, it's a screenshotting tool. Um, depending on what kind of recon I'm doing, especially if I'm doing very, very large-scale recon, and especially on websites that have a lot of duplication, um, what I mean by that is like, maybe it's a wildcard domain, uh, that will resolve to like a static landing page or something. Mm, right. Mm. So you can probably do a lot of this with curl and stuff, but with screenshots, it's kind of nice because it's a visual representation. Yeah. One, it's super easy to review. Uh, so you could just like scroll through, you can open 500 images and you just scroll through. And as soon as you see something, go back and be like, what is that? And then you can load it up and you can take a look. Um, but one thing I, I like to do is I'll screenshot a whole list of URLs and then I will run either a SHA sum, a SHA hash or an MD5 hash on all the files and I will dedupe them because mm, the, nice. if it's a static landing page, it actually screenshots one to one identical, right? So that means that if you have a bunch of the same web page that are under the same subdomain, you can group them together and you can put them in a folder by hash that says, oh, okay, all these domains are the exact same thing. Or, th like, visibly, they're visually identical, right? And then that will also help narrow down those 500 images or whatever that you've got down to maybe, like, 50 or something. 
Um, yeah. So I, I like to do that. It really depends on what kind of recon I'm doing. Generally, for like larger scale recon, that's what I'm going to be doing to help filter stuff down so I can see what stuff would look interesting. Because the way that I see it is, if I'm going to be reviewing this manually, I'm going to take the list of domains I have. I'm going to open them in my browser. I'm going to look at them with my eyes. So I'm going to do the exact same thing. This just puts it all in one place that I can review it quicker. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's important, being able to to get a visual look at, at stuff as well. It can really make some certain assets pop in the sea of assets that is so many of these organizations that we're looking at. Yeah. Um, I used GoWitness for a long time, but one of the things, oh man, was it Aquatone or was it GoWitness? One of, one of the two of them, um, they sent two HTTP requests for every one that you Yeah, requested. I think it's GoWitness because it yeah. checks HTTP and HTTPS. Well, it does that. But then the other thing is, or I, I shouldn't say HTTP request. It's, it instantiates two TLS connections. Um, and one of them is to pull, uh, is to do the HTTP request or HTTPS request, right? And then the other one is to pull the TLS certificate information. Mm. Um, and when I was really, this is probably showing how much of a weirdo I was <laughs> whenever I was doing my, my, uh, my recon stuff, is I just totally like, fixated on that and i was like no this sucks like i cannot be sending to i cannot have this overhead across you know five million assets that i'm monitoring um so i actually uh read through like all this crazy documentation and uh wrote a script with headless chrome to pull the tls certificate information and do the HTTPS request in one request, which actually seems like it should be pretty doable, but was hella difficult. Mm. Um, and I remember, you know, I don't remember this whole process. And even though I'm looking at the code right now, it's not coming back to me super clear. But one of the things that I do remember was that, like, there was this uh, gist that some random dude, like, put out there that just had, like, the keys to what I needed for this. And then I went back to reference it. I bookmarked it, and I went back to reference it, like, years later, and it's gone. It's and gone. he deleted no. it. And I was no. like, "How? who just goes and deletes that gist like that? Damn. Like, what are you doing, dude? Um, so at some point, I'll have to write write some of this up because uh, having that done in one one piece, I think, is is pretty... It's it's pretty nice from an efficiency perspective, but nice, yeah, nice, super cool. All right, let's. See. Um, what about uh, p prettier? Okay, all right, yeah. So this is another big thing. You know, we talk about man, Joel, we're we're going long on this episode already. All right, we we thought this was going to be a quick one, but we we got we got to get back to the hacking, man. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So p prettier. Um, this is just my go-to script for. Um, uh, JS beautification. So you pass it a JS file and it does a really good job of beautifying it. And, uh, it very rarely errors out, which is nice. Um, some of the other ones, JS beautify and some of the others, excuse me, um, does, does that, uh, on a pretty regular basis with complex JS files. Um, but pre P prettier just seems to do it. Also it's the P and P prettier stands for, parallelization something like that Paraly parallelized um and so it's very fast and it, it uses threads and that sort of thing um so great product there mixer made by the mixer team rip mixer um uh so definitely check that out if you're looking for um some js beautification stuff okay uh nice. doo -doo 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 -doo. you all right joel i'm gonna cross off all of the mobile stuff on your yes. list here because yeah, we already that's do this been talked about episode. We did a mobile um, episode. 
what, two hit, weeks ago. Yeah, hit us with the word list stuff. Uh, this is just word a good list. shout out. Yeah, cool. So word lists, I mean, listen, everybody's got their own word list. Some people make their own. Some people just use all that TXT, whatever you want to use. The main ones that I use, Jay Haddock's is, uh, you know, all that TXT and all the other ones that he has. Um, the Seckless lists I really like. And oh. Asset Note, the, those lists I really like. The Asset Note lists are built off of BigQuery, so they're like up to date. They're more like current-ish, like, mm. you know, theoretically they're... they're more like positive hits on what's going on like right now jihadics is just like you know everything <laughs> and yeah. uh and then the seclus is kind of like everywhere in between there's some more like refined wordless in there there's some some more var variant options if you want uh, to target specific things words only like the raft words i like that because those are just words and then you can add extensions to them if you want yeah um, i like that too that's helpful so yeah that that's wordless all right Cool. So I'm just going to look through here really quickly so that we can wrap it up and move to the reports. Um, yeah. So mass you, scan, we both have that one. We both have um, mass scan. Yeah. Yeah. That's just crazy fast port scanning. That's it. I've got dev tools on here as well. And I just wanted to mention a couple of things that I've, I've um, noticed that people are struggling with, um, with the mentees that I'm working with over the past couple of weeks. Um, so inside of dev inside of dev tools when you open it up in chrome you'll see um right above your console input there's a uh a top little drop down right and it'll allow you to select the context i don't know if there's a more a more specific word for this yeah no it actually says javascript context okay if you hover yeah um you can select the context of where this code is running so when you have a a page that has a bunch of iframes or like interpage communication, you want to make sure that you are selecting the correct context for your JavaScript code to execute in. Um, because otherwise you can get yourself in some pickles with origin stuff and, and um, you know, thinking you have a bug and you actually don't. Um, yeah. And this is also true sort of uh, on the, on the sources um, tab as well. There's some stuff that will only appear when you have, let's see if I can find a good example of this. I'm going to just open up. Yeah, sources. Um, there is, no, I mean, this one doesn't really have it either. Let's see if this one does. Um, yeah, there's threads. That's the name of it, of what it's called in, in sources. So if you open up a page, um, there's will be different threads that you can select within the browser, and this will automatically change the context. Um, so that's, once again, I know we're in audio medium here, but that's the sources tab in DevTools on the right-hand side, threads. Um, and it's only there if there are multiple threads running. Um, and so sometimes selecting those threads will actually get you different results for stuff like the global listeners tab and stuff like that, which is where you enumerate your um, your listeners for that specific page, uh, your post message listeners and such. I've um, never seen that, or maybe I've never noticed it. What what website are you using to, to see I, it? I just have Twitter open. So go, just go to Twitter and you're only going to see like us, serviceworker.js. Oh, um, oh. Do you see that though? Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't even know you could Yeah, and so like you those. can select the other thread and then, you know, go to global listeners and go to message. And then sometimes there's like a, additional post message listeners there. And then you can also do this on the left-hand side in the page. Uh, drop down. If you select like a page that has an iframe, you can go in there and like select that specific frame and that will update some stuff on the right hand side as well. Um, so don't be missing out on some of the uh, post message listeners that are defined in the global listener section of the sources tab on dev tools, just because you don't have the correct tab selected or thread selected, um, kind of fiddle around with that. Make sure you, you know, what's, what's going on. 
And then also in the console area, make sure you're selecting the correct JavaScript context for your um, code to be executing in to make sure that there isn't some sort of uh, implicit um, a post message uh, origin check or something like that that's occurring. Uh, and it's just slipping by because you're executing it in the context of the same thing as the page uh, rather than in like your own domain or like the parent domain. Um, yeah. So good tips there. Cool. Cool. Yeah, no, that, that's a um, good one. Okay. So we should talk about our command line tools um, because you've got some cool ones that I want to know about in yours. But before we do that, I'm going to mention two things. Um, one, uh, keyboard shortcuts. Um, I have configured uh, Espanso. Um to like help me with some of my uh, automated typing stuff. So essentially you just type colon and then type like a, a string and then it will automatically replace it with you know, the string that you want to. For example, I don't have my server IP memorized and sometimes I need the IP rather than the DNS record. So I'll type uh, colon server IP and it will just uh, auto fill in my, my server IP. And it does this at like an input level on the keyboard. So it, it works in lots of different um, environments as well, which is really cool. That's really cool. I've never heard of this and I do a lot of this with bash scripts. So like, do you really, I have one called public IP. Like I have a bash uh -huh. shortcut called public IP that does like a dig. It does, it calls a dig yeah. command that returns your public IP. And like, that's what I use for getting my public IP. Yeah. And shortcut. so you can actually call out like in your Espanso configuration, you can have it run shell commands and then show the output. So it like, I've got one for, uh, colon EIP, external IP, which just makes a request to IP info um, and pulls my external IP address that I'm working from. Um, so that's that's a really cool one. That's cool. Um, and then the other thing I have is keyboard shortcuts for things like URL encoding, URL decoding, JSON beautification, base64 encoding and decoding, whatever is in my clipboard, mm. um, which is extremely helpful when you're trying to do stuff that's like, all right, now you you know, URL decode it and then you JSON beautify it and then you modify it and then you JSON minify it and then you URL encode it. And, and you know, there's just so much friction. But then yeah. like once you have those things on a keyboard shortcut, you can just go, you know, control shift U, control shift I, you know, and then you just kind of got that muscle memory there and it start it stops taking friction on your brain and allows you to focus on the hacking. Um, yeah. So really, I, I literally, I can't tell you how much this has changed in my life. Like just having the keyboard shortcuts for those sort of things. Um, yeah, yeah, that's big. That that's super neat. I use I use clipboard a lot as well. Um, mm. I rely on it. Sometimes I'll pipe in Bash, but more yeah. frequently, what I'm doing, I'm using a, a, a IPython and IPython. I just have it in like a tab in my browser. Yeah, tell me about that. And I have um, I have a little script that I wrote. I call it PyHack, and it's just like a bunch of little shortcuts um, that I'll tie back in. They'll basically just be like aliases to other modules, or maybe like little definitions that call a, a function within a module. And they'll, they'll do things like, I have one for hex encoding, uh, base64 encoding and decoding, just on like literally the keyword B64D. So I'll mm -hmm. type B64D, yeah. I'll call it, and then I use a, a module called Piperclip, which mm. is a, it's a cross OS uh, clipboard reading oh, and nice. writing module. So you just import from Piperclip, import copy and paste. And then those are two functions that you can call to copy and paste to your clipboard. So nice. I'll do B64D, paste, and then it'll print out whatever, you know, B64, or I'll do copy B64D paste, and then it'll recopy whatever it decodes, and I, I'll chain those together very similar to, to what you're doing, yeah. um, but I'll just do it in Python. Yeah, no, that's great. I was wondering what IPython was, because I use Python a lot, but I, I don't, I, you know, I grew up 
writing Python. So I always just write it in a script and run it instead of using some of these like IDEs. So, I mean, is that yeah. just an IDE for Python? No. So IPython, it's a, it's basically a, uh, it's a REPL, right? It's just like an interactive um, Python oh, really? uh, console. Okay. It's a Jupyter notebook essentially. Um, so okay. you have access to like, you know, the percent um, like Jupyter uh, type no- notebook type uh, macros oh, okay. and stuff. So it's like, a, yeah, okay. Yeah, but it's like it's syntax highlighted, like new lines. It's like a Python console, but like nice. functional. You know, it's like usable. It has like you know syntax highlighting and suggestions and drop downs and like colors and yeah. So it's like it's really nice. Good stuff. Yeah, I might have to check that out at some point. I, I, I think a lot of it's you know just kind of on muscle memory for me already. But yeah. I could you know <laughs> integrate this seamlessly. That'd yeah, be really helpful. I mean, it's just like typing, right? You find whatever works for you, and then if if you can do that faster than what makes sense to like relearn it, then what are you, listen, what are you, what are you like, what are you saying, Joel? Are you trying to like shit on the people that know how no, to like no, actually no, no. type here? No, what I'm saying, like, so I'm, like, I'm saying like whatever hey, works for you, people that what, don't type listen, at the what whatever works for you. Hey, if you could do it as fast or faster, then don't even bother relearning it because it's probably uh-huh. not worth it. Yeah. yeah, no, that makes sense. Um. So definitely a cool thing there, keyboard shortcuts. Um, all right, let's talk about the command line tools. Um, so like inside of the base set, um, let's see, what, what is the overlap here? We've both got sed, we've both got awk. Sed, awk, JQ, JQ, grep. grep, of course. The, the, the trusty old database, grep. <laughs> yeah, grep. Yeah, okay, grep, obviously searching strings, you know. Yeah. <laughs> It's just like, you know, you need to search something within something else. Grep. Okay. Grep. If you want to do it with regex, you you can either use egrep or you can use RG, which is ripgrep, which yeah. is like. Ripgrep is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You put that on your list. I probably should have put it on my list, but it's it, ripgrep. It, it's, I mean, you can look at the speed tests, the benchmarks and stuff, but it's great. It's. Gre- way faster it's great it's written in rust it's insanely fast it has tons of features uh if i'm searching anything m- remotely large yeah. i'm using rip grip because it's joel, way faster joel and i recently used this to just search entire file systems we, yeah. we pulled a file system off of a device and then literally just rip grepped across the whole file system for a specific yep. text one little tip when you are using that don't forget the dash a parameter um so that it yep. doesn't ignore binary files just like with grip but yep. so yeah um rip grip super awesome less top head cut. cut you know it's just like you know things to view uh large buffers of text without mm. taking up your entire terminal yeah. or to search within them there's a lot of different tools that do a lot of very similar things that are built into linux um like what is head and top fzf fzf fuzzy find so fzf it's an it's an awesome tool it's like an extension i think you like install it in your in your shell uh but mm. basically it adds two main things control r and control t okay i think you've mentioned this before yeah i think we talked about this maybe off off air but mm. um basically like if you use control r in your terminal it'll let you reverse search through your batch yeah. history yeah. and fuzzy uh fuzzy find basically extends upon that so it, it lets you fuzzy find through your bash history so if you don't exactly type the exact command it will still search and it'll still show you suggestions that roughly match basically getting fuzzier as it goes up and you can do the same thing for files on the file system so if in your current folder you just control t or you type fcf it'll do the same exact fuzzy search but for files within your current folder um so that's really useful for like in uh in vs yeah exactly yep control p your command palette or your your uh, file switcher in, in visual studio code very very similar it's really awesome i use it 
multiple times a day, every single day. Um, in conjunction with that, ZSH, uh, that's my preferred shell. Mm. Uh, I use Bash for a while. It's pretty good. I like ZSH more. I don't really know why. I think it's just more customizable. I think it's yeah. more friendly. Easily I especially extensible. use Oh My ZSH uh, mm-hmm. as as a you know it's it basically just like a uh, a plugin like module thing that sits on top of it that makes it easier to add extensions. And then I use Power Level 10K as my theme. Nice. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, I think those are all really essential lists there. I know we're just kind of rattling them off, but we should probably <laughs> yeah. like just throw them into the description just so people yeah. can know, you know, what kind of command line tools they need yeah, to know. Yeah, this will be one of those things functional. you're going to want to like sit at your computer. You're gonna, yeah. We're going to read one word, pause, go search it, <laughs> like yeah. check it out, read another word or yeah. Well, and we'll try and put a whole, whole list of the links in the in the show notes as well. Solid. Okay. So this is the, I've got two more things here and uh, one of them kind of flows into the into the the report, so I'll talk about this one first. So, um, <clears throat> my life changed one day. Uh, in when when was it? Hold on, let me see if I can. The, it was the at the I could, the posters right over there. Unfortunately, I'm blind, so I can't see it. But it was in <laughs> London. Um, I want to say it was 2019. Sitting down there with Tom Nom Nom and. Uh, Stoke at a live hacking event and they recorded this video and before they recorded this video I was sitting at this table with them um and essentially in the video which I'll link I'll link I keep on saying the video but uh it's a video about Tom Nom Nom and Stoke uh explaining bash for hackers pretty much um and one of the main things that that Tom shows in this is like how to use Vim as a tool to manipulate input and we were kind of talking about like how if you get the output from a tool and it's super large these all these tools like you know uh head and and less and top and and more and those sort of things that that allow you to manipulate you know and, and not show the whole buffer on your screen and just you know bomb your terminal well you can just pipe this stuff into vim dash and it just throws it into a vim buffer and then you know you can just execute additional commands by just uh doing percent bang and you can just chain commands together and all of it's just in a vim buffer and you can search through it easily and it's just so 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 nice um and so really i i just this one this one video um that that um stoke and tom nom nom put together changed my efficiency on the command line for the rest of my life like i'm still making gains on efficiency from this and uh so definitely learn how to use vim properly um, to, ch- to, you know, limit your, your buffer that you're seeing and chain it through different commands. Yeah. I mean, Vim is one of those tools. I learned how to use it back in college. It was something I was super like averse to originally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I was like a hardcore nano user, you know, like it's always, <laughs> it's like a, it's a it's battle, you know, like hardcore nano <laughs> yeah. user, hardcore nano user. Yeah. There, I don't think there really are hardcore nano users. Let's be mm-hmm. honest. Yeah. Right. So um, I, I tried out Vim and the thing about Vim, it's one of those things that as you learn, the more that you learn, the easier it gets. Okay. Things you're going to notice patterns that are very common. Uh, Vim was written by programmers. So it's like, mm-hmm. it's very systemic and logical. You just have to understand the logic systems that they're using. Right. 
it's written just by like, programmers as yes. most programs are <laughs> yeah you'll be like why do like why if i press like hjkl that well because touch typing right it's like yeah. you have to think about like you know and then if you understand the the reasoning behind it it makes more sense so a lot of vim it can be confusing at first but if you take a little bit of time and you understand the underlying reasons it'll make a lot more sense and it'll make your workflow significantly faster there are, you're gonna learn like little keybinds for example okay here's one uh if you're gonna uh, exit a file most people do either colon uh wq or maybe colon q, w then colon q if I you do colon what, yes what if you do colon on? lowercase x it will write if it needs to and exit no in you've got to be kidding me hold colon on, just lowercase just x hold just on just colon x yep vim test.txt blah de blah de blah lowercase x what the heck yep Dude, and if it's there's not even no that changes, hard it doesn't write. Vim, X makes perfect sense. It's a thing you click on over yeah. the corner anyway. Yeah, it does both. So what? that's like a super, I, I love that one. I use that one all the time. Another one, um, this is like really verbose, but um, basically if you're, if, if you've been in this situation where you're editing a file and you're about to save it and you realize I'm in read only mode or I'm, I didn't run this with sudo no, and I don't want to remake please. these changes. Tell okay? me right now, man. It's colon W space bang pseudo t percent okay what and it basically it writes it and then it, it runs pseudo t as a command and it pipes it it pipes it back in and then it'll be like do you want to reload the file and then you load it and you're good wait, wait you but what if quit. you're in a directory that doesn't like you can't write uh you would have to have pseudo Does it write so it to like, like a temp buffer or something i mean you could change where it writes to instead of giving it percent you could just wait, like okay i'm sorry we need to do i need to do this right now so so <laughs> yeah. vim so okay, so yeah, let's I'll, say I'll send it to you. Pseudo sue. Alright, I'm hopping into root. I'm changing this. I'm I'm changing the uh, permissions on this file. It's test. And then I'm jumping out of root and try to write as test here. Can I write? Okay, no, I, I messed up my permissions. Okay. Okay. You know, you know what? I'm not even gonna do this on air. Joel, we have to you have to, yeah, yeah. to do okay, this. Okay, so though, basically because, like, all you have to know is that call like if you do colon W and then after that you do like space exclamation point cat for example it will pipe it'll write the current buffer to it'll pipe it to that command okay so it would be like if you have a, all, all the stuff in a file and you like did w exclamation cat it would pipe the stuff from the file into cat okay so similarly you can pipe that into pseudo t like the t command t e to mm, yeah, append yeah. stuff yep. to a file right and percent in vim is the current is the file name that's associated with a buffer so you're saying pipe the current buffer into pseudo t file name and then that's how you're actually writing it with sudo and then after you write that vim oh. will be like hey the file was modified do you want to reload it and you'll click yes and then it'll have your changes there and then you can just quit no way okay 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 hold on i've got my uh, I, i've got I, so i've got my test environment up so i can't write it says read only and i pipe it into sudo t percent percent yep and that'll be your current file if you don't have a file then you could just put your file Dude. where percent is what the heck my life Pretty has dope. changed pretty dope dude i run into that's this a big one that i use all the time that yeah. makes so much sense i don't know why i didn't because i always what, what i always end up doing is end up like sudo or, or i end up writing into like temp 
and then like getting out, pseudoing, then copying it from temp back to where it is. This happens all the time when I'm trying to modify my my Apache, uh, you know, configuration. Or yeah, you forget to run it with sudo. You make a bunch of changes, and then you gotta like, undo heck, and start over. And, super yeah. annoying. Wow, life changing, life changing things being dropped on this episode, man. Yeah. Joel, I think we need to just sit down at some time and like, I just need to like. Joel, tell me things that I don't know about the technologies <laughs> that I use every day. Because that is, that is really helpful. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, we're at like an hour 10. The, dude, there is no short episode with us. There, there, yeah. there really is. No. I mean, this one is like really hard because there's like so much nuance to all these tools. There and is, I think it's yeah. it's important to understand. Um, like the thing that I explained with Vim, right? Like mm-hmm. that that is a perfect example of understanding like what you're doing right instead of just like blindly like copy pasting like colon w exclamation yeah. right like what is it doing oh it's writing the buffer it's piping it into a command it's using t percent means the file name now i get it now i could do that for anything else i could change it with other commands i can you know use this functionality anytime i run another vim command so you just have to understand the fundamentals and then that's awesome that 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 really helps a lot that's great um okay so I'm going to jump into the next one and then I'm going to take that right into the report section. So the next one that I wanted to talk about was DNS chef. Uh, This is a tool that uh, Mr. Tux racer uh, introduced to me a while back. Um, It's essentially a tool that allows you to just kind of run a DNS server on the fly and you can like spoof DNS records. You can uh, get DNS callbacks. So like, for example, if you're trying to do a DNS callback that doesn't go through collaborator, um, then you can do it through um, DNS, just like set your own domain, set your VPS as the authoritative name server for that, you know, section of your domain, spin up DNS chef, run it on port four or uh, on port 53, and then you'll get the, the DNS callback there. And um, so I was trying to find some reports that were using some of the tools here. And obviously a lot of the tools that we're talking about here are just kind of workflow tools. They're not yeah, really it's like, like all actually, my reports use these tools. Yeah, like literally I use all, them yeah. all the time. Exactly. Yeah. Vim is in every single report that I write. No, um, but DNS Chef was one of the ones that actually like had a pretty tangible result. And um, it was a pretty weird program that I reported a bug to with this. And essentially what the program wanted to do was they wanted to check and see whether we could establish a reliable um, reverse shell or a a, a reliable shell of any kind um, inside of their VDI environment that they had set up. Um, And there was a very stringent set of rules for like uh, the servers you could communicate with over HTTP and HTTPS. So it was kind of tricky. And we found a couple ways to do it. Um, Tip, there's a proxy that you can use inside of Google. So if any of the Google services you are using, you can use Translate to uh, the Google Translate service to uh, open up a a page inside of Google Translate. You're taking me back to like computer hacking when I was like a a preteen. Exactly. This (laughs) is like how you get around your school. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The the, the web filter. Exactly. Exactly. So that was one way that we were able to do it. Um, Another way we were able to do it was uh, by a, a DNS shell. And instead of using like some of the, all this crazy stuff out there, I said, you know what? I'm going to take five minutes it ended up taking like two hours um, to write my own little DNS shell here. But it would have taken a lot longer if DNS Chef wasn't around because um, it just makes it really easy to hook into, uh, if you read the code, it's there's a pretty clear spot to hook into it and handle a um, TXT request, uh, a DNS TXT request. Um, 
And, and so I just wrote like a little 20 line client on the client side that like pings the server for a command, runs the command, gets the output, hex encodes it, and then sticks it in a DNS request back out to my server. Um, and made, made that little, um, you know, reverse D DNS reverse shell, uh, within Python and that fulfilled the requirements and got, got us the bounty for, um, you know, establishing a reliable shell outside of their VDI environment. Um, so I think sometimes the takeaway here is just kind of like, you gotta, you know, Joel, I know you're an avid listener of uh, my first million as well. Um, love that podcast. Um, but one of the things they say on there is just do cool shit. You know, like yeah. just find the stuff that's cool and then do that. Right. And and, do it. and, yeah. and then do it. Yeah. And uh, I think this was one of those things for me that was just kind of like, okay, I would like to be able to write a, a DNS, you know, reverse shell um, in, in Python. And so took some time, did it, got the cool bounty for it. And I always try to go down those routes whenever I see these goals that people set up. Uh, we talked about, for example, um, breaking out of root detection. Like you, you know that that's going to be possible because you yeah. control the app with Frida. So right. you should always be able to break out of, uh, you know, root detection. So doing yeah. something like that and doing something like this, uh, where they like guarantee bounties for things that you know are possible, um, you know, just go and do it. And it gets you a lot more deeper understanding of some of these things that you know are, are possible on the border. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's like that perfect, perfect combination between, like CTF kind of like hack the box, like training type of stuff and real world, like get a bounty for what you're doing because it's, it's, you're combining real world with the challenge, right? Like yeah. you see the challenge, all you have to do solve the challenge, right? Okay. Well, you have, you, you know, go. the constraints you're within this environment, figure a way out. So for sure, yeah, I, I love those types of things. Yeah. Same. And, and yeah, that mixes well with your puzzler puzzle <laughs> yeah that tickles too. my puzzle brain really yeah, hard <laughs> um all right man i think that's that's it um i guess i know we were planning on talking about some some hardware hacking stuff at the end of this episode but let's push that to a different episode um yeah. and we'll you know more deep deep dive it because i've got some really cool like tools you're teaching me how to use like right over here and i'm excited to get on the pod and talk about those so we'll do that yeah. at a different time. super awesome all right catch you next week sweet that's the pod see ya Yo, thanks for listening to this episode of Critical Thinking Bug Bounty Podcast. If you wanted to, you could go over to Twitter at CTBB Podcast, give us a follow, or maybe even subscribe at Critical Thinking Podcast on YouTube. But the thing that would make you the real MVH would be simply just telling your friends and hacker fellows about the pod. Word of mouth is one of the biggest ways that podcasts grow, so spread the word. Thanks. See you next week.